We are continuing our Advent series, which is entitled, He is Our Hope. He is Our Hope. And the first week we looked at how our hope has been long expected. We looked at several Old Testament passages that show that, that God promised the Messiah, Jesus Christ, long ago. And that if He promised the Messiah so long ago and kept His promise, that we can truly trust Him. Then we, we looked the, the following week at how uh, the reason why we need this hope, that we are the problem. That the problem, our, our problem is not something external to us, but it's actually our own sin. As we come into Christmas... This morning, we're going to remember that the hope that we celebrate is here. It is here. You know, a lot goes into naming our children, right? I mean, we, we name our kids based on a lot of things, and a lot of times, that's the hardest decision to make. That's, I mean, you, you'll, hear, you'll hear couples squabbling over, you know, when they, when they differ on, on what to name a baby. Many times, we name them after family members. A lot of times there's family names that are passed down. Sometimes we name them after ourselves. We give them Junior. Sometimes we give them a name that, uh, that means something. For example, uh, Elijah, our son, his name means my God is Yahweh. Now it's just easier to call him Elijah. You know, like, Elijah, come here. It's, it's not, it doesn't work when you're like, my God is Yahweh, come here. You know, <laughs> They mean something. They mean something. At the, as we look at the, the birth narrative of Jesus, something that we often skip over is uh, just a couple of verses here where God names the baby. God names the baby. And we need to pay really close attention to what He names this Messiah. We zoom in on a few verses that focus on the two names that he was given. And in looking at these two names, we'll see that God wants to rescue us. And that God wants to know us. He wants to be near. He wants to have a relationship. So let's read Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. And if you would please stand as we honor the reading of God's word together. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child, uh-oh, from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, Son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and look, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive... And bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Father, we are humbled at what we read. That, that you being eternally God, the creator of everything that is, became a man. That you entered into our suffering. That you came to save us. Father, help us to remember as we look at this. Help us to see it afresh. Not looking at it like it's just a, it's part of the season, but Lord, help us to see with fresh eyes that this baby born in a manger was destined for a cross. That this baby born in a manger is our only hope. That this baby born in the manger is our God, our Savior, and our King. In Jesus' name, Amen. So, as we go through the passage, verse 22 tells us, or verse 21 rather, that she will bear a son, and Joseph, you're going to name him Jesus. So why does God tell Joseph what to name the baby? Why? Why doesn't, jo why doesn't God just leave that to Joseph? You know, just name him, you know, whatever you want to. Maybe you and Mary can work that out. Well, it actually turns out that there is a rich history in the Old Testament of God telling people what to name their babies, especially when it's prophesying something that's going to come to pass. For example, God, when an Assyrian army is going to invade in Isaiah chapter 8, God tells Isaiah to name his child something. Isaiah 8, 3 and 4. And I went to the prophetess, that's his wife, and she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said to me, Call his name Maher Shahal Hashbaz, which means, and that means the, the spoil speeds, the prey hastens. For before the boy knows how to cry, My father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Assyria. God is using this baby to prophesy what is to come. When Israel was being unfaithful to God, he sent Hosea. And he told Hosea, I want you to go and marry a prostitute. Because that's what Israel is doing to me. And so he marries a prostitute, Gomer. They have a child together. And this is what God says. And the Lord said to him, call his name Jezreel. For in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. So that's child number one. Here's child number two. She conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, Call her name No Mercy. For I will have, I will have no more mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them by the Lord their God. Alright, so, when she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore child number three. What's God going to name this one? 
the Lord said, verse 9, Call His name, not my people. For you are not my people and I am not your God. Wow, that seems kind of harsh. God names a child to prophesy about what's going to happen. To say, hey, this is, this is what's going to happen. So, think about it. We are sinners. We have rebelled against God. God doesn't send us a baby named Desolation, as He should. He doesn't send us a baby in a manger named Destruction. But we deserve that. We, he should. He doesn't send us a baby like He did to the people of Israel, not my people. He doesn't send us a baby, no mercy, but instead He sends us a baby, Yahweh saves. God saves. So we look at the name of Jesus. It, it's translated from Yehoshua. Or a lot of our English translations would translate that name Joshua. And it means Yahweh is salvation. Or Yahweh saves. So it's no accident that God tells him, name the baby Jesus. God saves. Name Him, God saves. Now, when we look at the word save, of course, it means to rescue, to preserve from danger, from destruction. But the word save does not mean anything unless you look at the object. In other words, save from what? means nothing unless you look at what, what people are being saved from. Well, the angel speaking on behalf of God tells us. He says, you're going to call His name Jesus. Look at what he says next. For He shall save His people from their sins. He will save His people from their sins. What is sin? Sin is simply a departure from the divine standards of what uprightness is. Put differently, it means to miss the mark. To not measure up to the standard. And so the question that, that I think we should ask when we think about that is, am I a good person? We explored this a couple of weeks ago a little bit. Am I a good person? Well, it depends on who you ask. Some people may think I'm a good person. Other people may think I'm worthless, no good. Depends on what standard you use. But... He's very clear when we use God's standard to measure our goodness, we fall short every time. We are sinners. And so what that means is you may be the very best person in the room. Your goodness may know no bounds. You may be the most charitable person. You may be the most generous person. But when it comes to the divine standard of what goodness is, even you fall short. And in God's eyes, none of us are good. None of us are truly good. So, how does Jesus rescue? If that's His mission, if even His name tells us He's going to save, He's going to rescue us from our sins, how does He do that? The baby that is born in this manger is destined for a cross. That's how He's going to do it. He will save by His death in the place of sinners. 
You know, a lot of times God is viewed as a, a heavenly accountant, kind of a, a banking illustration. God is viewed as an accountant, and, and at the end, He's going to throw open His giant ledger, and He's going to turn to your page, and on your page, uh, all of your good deeds are going to be on one side of the ledger as credits, and all of your bad deeds are going to be on the debit side. And so God's going to tally everything up, and as long as... As long as your good outweighs your bad, you're going to make it in. Everything's going to be okay. Well, looking at God that way, I wonder which, which side will it tip for us? If you, if you pictured it that way, which, which is going to win? If we look at what Scripture says about us and not how we overvalue ourselves, we're going to see that actually we're going to come out in the red. That no, none of our good deeds can outweigh the bad that we have done. That in a, a, a just courtroom, God will have to find every single one of us guilty. Now, I wonder this morning, if, if I were to write you a check for, for $10 million, right? Wouldn't that be nice to have that kind of money? I know some people that work at the bank that might could arrange that, but... <laughs> If I wrote you a check for $10 million and you took that check to the bank, they would laugh you out of the bank. Why? Because of the name that's on the check. Everybody knows Matt Warren does not have that kind of money. He's a preacher for crying out loud. He's not in the oil industry. He's not, you know, he doesn't own huge businesses. It's because of the name on the check. They know I'm not good for that kind of money. But what if Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos wrote a check for $10 million? Now we're talking. You take that check to the bank. Now they're probably going to put you, you know, through some scrutiny there. Like, did he really give you that money? But they're going to cash the check. Why? Because of the name that's on the check. Because Bill Gates is good for his money. He's got it in his account. The, the point, of course, is that people trust in many things to try to write their ledger. If you're, if you're using that analogy, if you're tracking with me still. People try to, they trust in all sorts of things to make themselves right with God. Man, if I just go to church, if I just do the right amount of religious activity, everything's going to be all right. Or, or even worse, a lot of people don't even think about it. A lot of people just say, well, you know what? I'm going to get to judgment and God, He's going to look at my heart and he's gonna, He knows what's inside. I'm going to be okay. And that's the problem is He knows what's inside and it's not good. You know, Peter was addressing a large group of religious people who were trusting in many different ways to make themselves right with God. They were trying to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. They were trying to earn God's favor. And this is what he tells them. He says, there is salvation in no one else. No one else, for there is no other name under heaven given by, among men by which we must be saved. When God rescues us and we, we take that to the bank, it is cashed because, not because our name is on it, it's cashed because His name is on it. 
He, Jesus, listen, is the only one who has ever lived a life that is perfect. He is the only one who lived up to the standard, who never sinned. And what happened to him? He was crucified. And something happened when he was crucified. And I want you to hear this very closely. When he was crucified, God took Jesus' account of righteousness and he credited it to people like me, sinners. And then he takes my sin and he credits it to Jesus' account so that as Jesus is hanging on the cross, he's actually hanging in my place paying for my sins. Church, that is how Jesus lives up to His name. Yahweh will save. Because He goes to a cruel, bloody cross. And He dies in our place. But I want you to, I want you to see something really, really close right here. Notice it says, You will call His name Jesus, for He will save who? His people. So here's the question of the hour. Here's the all-important question that you have to wrestle with this morning. Are you one of His people? He doesn't give us a universal salvation. He doesn't just say every single human being is on this boat. He says, no, this is for my people. And so the all-important question we must ask, are you one of those people? How do I become one of those people? It's very simple. And you can actually do it this morning if you're not. It's all about trusting what Christ has done for us. It's all about trusting Him. The good news is that we can be forgiven this morning by simply trusting Him, surrendering to Him. We can have our sins forgiven. We can be restored to God. A relationship that will satisfy us forever. So how does it get any better? How does it get any better than that? Well, look at a second name. The Gospel writer Matthew goes on and he says... All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Listen to what Isaiah says. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The virgin shall conceive describes Mary's pregnancy and her birth. That's, what, that's why this whole dialogue is happening. Is Joseph is wanting to put her away. He's thinking she's out sleeping with other men. And I'm not going to have anything to do with her. I'm going to put her away. I'm going to call off the engagement. And we're just going to end this right now. I'm not going to shame her. I'm not going to make a scene. But I'm going to end it. And the angel comes and says, No, actually the prophecy is being fulfilled right here. A virgin is conceiving. And notice what he says. They shall call his name Emmanuel. And then Matthew adds, which means God with us. God with us. Well, to under, understand what that name means, we've got to look at Isaiah when he wrote that. In Isaiah chapter 7, Isaiah tells of King Ahaz. And there's different nations around King Ahaz that are threatening uh, the people of God. And unlike his grandfather, Uzziah, who followed the Lord faithfully, King Ahaz turned to idols. 
He refuses to seek God's help. He's got these nations that are pressing in like the Assyrian Empire. They're pressing in. They're wanting to conquer. And he won't, he's not turning to the Lord. He's turning to idols for help. And so the Lord sends Isaiah to King Ahaz. And he says, listen, I'm going to give you a sign. A virgin's going to conceive and bring forth a baby. And his name is going to be God with us. The sign, this is what one uh, pastor says about it. How, how did a prediction of a virgin birth of Messiah fit into this ancient scene? Isaiah was telling the wicked king that no one would destroy the people of God or the royal line of David. And that's the significance in Ahaz's day. Isaiah the prophet is coming and saying, listen, nothing is going to happen to the people of God. God's got us. He is with us. But what ultimately happens? Fast forward and see that the people of God are eventually exiled. They're conquered. The kingly line of David comes to an end. But 700 years later, this prophecy of Isaiah comes to fruition. And ultimately, listen, God does just that. He sends us a baby born of a virgin who forevermore and finally tells us that nothing is ever going to happen to God's people. That He is with us. And listen, Jesus is not just a sign, but He is very literally God with us. He is God in the flesh. So why does this matter? Why is this important? Who cares? Well, it matters because God, the Creator, took on flesh to save us. I mean, let that sink in. The Creator became the created. And what that means is God, in, in saving us from our sin, doesn't just send a third party to do it. He comes Himself into our story, into our suffering, that He might save us. He comes into us, so that means that there is nothing that we can ever face that He doesn't know what it's like. That means there's no type of suffering that we go through. He's been there too. When we face heartache, He's been there. He's experienced. He knows it. When we face loss, He's been there. He knows it. When we face temptation, He's been there. He knows it. God is with us. His name tells us. That's why John 1.14 tells us the Word became flesh and dwelt among us because God came and actually dwelt with us. That's why at the end of the book of Matthew, we're looking at chapter 1. Well, when you fast forward to 28, the very last thing Jesus says is, Behold, I am with you always. Emmanuel. Jesus, even at the very end, saying, I'm going somewhere else, but I am still going to be with you. That's why at the end of history, at the end of the book of Revelation, which tells us the very end, 
Revelation 21 verse 3, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people and God Himself will be with them as their God. That means from the birth forevermore, it can be said that God is truly with His people. And listen, if God can be with us at our worst and rescue us from our sin, if we're in Christ, that means that we know that He is with us no matter what we face. So I just want to encourage you with that for a second. I want to encourage you. You may be facing Christmas Maybe for the first time, or maybe you do it every year, you're facing Christmas this year without a loved one. God is with you. You may be receiving a troubling word from a doctor, have a loved one who is fighting for their life. God is with you. You may be facing problems at work, may not even know where your next paycheck is going to come from. God is with you. You may not know how you're going to make it through. Listen, God is with you. And so listen, what that means is we're going to be all right. We're going to make it through. The people of God back in Isaiah, they, they knew that. They knew if God is with us, we've got this. And we need to remember that, to be reminded of that. God is with us. We've got this. How do we know it? How do we know He's with us? Because that's His name. Emmanuel. Which means God with us. Jesus is His name. He will save His people from their sins. Are you one of His people? Emmanuel. God is with us. Remember that in worship. God wants to rescue us. And He wants to have a close relationship with us. So as we think about responding to, to what we've seen this morning, let's respond with just that. He wants to rescue us. Perhaps some of you this morning have never experienced the rescue. Perhaps some of you this morning have never turned your life over to Him, have never surrendered to Him, have never been forgiven, never been cleansed, have never been restored into a right standing with God. This morning can be the time that that happens. And I plead with you this morning, if that hasn't happened, would you press in this morning? Today is the day that you can ask questions. Today is the day that you can know more about that. And today is the day, perhaps, that you can finally cross over from death to life. But the second part of that is God wants to rescue us, yes, but He also wants to have a close relationship with us. God is with us. Others, you may be here and struggling with that truth. There's some of you here that you need to be reminded of that. That God is indeed with you if you are in Christ. And so I would encourage you this morning... Realize how near He is to you. Realize how much He loves you. Realize that He promises that He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And that no matter what you face, He will bring you through. 
And this morning, whatever your burden is, lay it down. Give it to Him. Trust Him. And He will shoulder the burden for you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank You so much, Lord, that You lived the life that we should have lived. And You died the death that we deserve to die. God, as we come to this time where we respond to your word, even amidst car alarms going off, Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Lord. We have so much to remember. We have so much to be thankful for. And Lord, I just pray that you break through in this room. Father, that you would come through, that you would break down the walls, that you would take people who are far from you, that you would bring them near, that you would bring people to know you this morning. And Father, I pray that you would break through for the person this morning who feels like you were distant. who feels like they're, they're walking with you in vain, who feels like they're not going to make it through, Lord, I pray that this morning you would break through that wall. That you would come and embrace them and show them that you are indeed with them, that you never leave. That when we feel distant from you, that it's just a feeling and not a fact. So Lord, have your way here this morning.